Hey folks, uh, Jeff Salzman here. Welcome to the Daily Evolver Live. It's uh, Wednesday, November 1st, 2017. And today I wanted to talk about what happened yesterday in New York City, where eight people were killed and several wounded by an ISIS sympathizer who drove a truck into a bike lane in downtown Manhattan uh, as an act of terror and as an act of obedience to ISIS, who has um, implored people like him to do just exactly that, uh, especially now that they're losing on the battlefield or have lost. Um, And of course, you're all plugged in to a 24-7 news cycle. I mean, we can watch this thing unfold in real time if you want. And so I'm not necessarily going to focus on the newsy specifics so much as the larger cultural forces and trends that are involved, which is the the, um, specialty of integral theory. And, you know, a lot of this I've talked about in uh, many other episodes, just this, this dynamic of terror in the 21st century. And um, I, I probably go into more detail in past podcasts, but uh, I, I'm, I'm getting a lot of new people and I want to just lay out these sort of general principles. So I'll be sort of reviewing a bit in a, in a certain way. Uh, one of the things that integral theory shows us as we look at this spiral of development, and we have our charts on integral life, and I have them on my pot, our website uh, that lay this out. But we we move from the you know archaic to the tribal and to the warrior stage and the traditional stage, and then the modern and postmodern and emergent integral stages. Those are you know, that's sort of the general framework that we use in integral theory. And there are various um, you know phenomena that are we see happening as we move into these higher stages where we in America are generally at its center of gravity modern. And we see that there are cultures that are still pre-modern and even pre-traditional. And that we have a history that is stretched out over many different stages of development at the same time. And that's not true in earlier history where Everybody was tribal for a long time, many tens of thousands of years. And then everybody was warrior and everybody was traditional and, um, and, 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 and or maybe stretched out over two memes, but now so many. And that there is a particular sour spot on the spiral where people at a warrior stage of development who are really um, wired to fight. I mean, that's really the orienting principle of somebody at what we call the red stage of development. It's an egoic stage of development where you're trying to make your way. There's, there's no real uh, uh, sort of uh, layers of, of civilization that have been laid down. And, um, you know, today is a good day to die. And that is the uh, credo of the warrior. And they are definitely willing to die. Uh, And they're not even so um, developed that they don't, you know, they're they're basically just going to a happy hunting ground, which they can sort of feel their ancestors already. So it's not such a, you know, shift for them in a way. 
So, um, so we have this, you know, really violent stage of development, which is completely normal at that stage. And then we have the next one, which is the stage where people, uh, you know, that's just at some point becomes too chaotic and too violent and people need to move forward. Humanity moves forward. And one of the ways we do it is by recognizing a transcendent God in the sky or a transcendent state like nirvana, where everything's worked out and that that is now the new standard of justice and we no longer have to have blood feuds and we no longer, you know, we civilize ourselves in obedience to that transcendent force. Now, there are people who have a foot in both camps. So they're warriors, but they're also holy. They're holy warriors. And this is a stage that is uh, particularly dangerous because they are willing to die. They are perfectly happy, as this guy was, to go on to an eternal afterlife where he will be rewarded uh, with, you know, nice, cool grapes and lots of virgins. So, uh, you know, that is uh, bad enough. But if you add the uh, technology that you get in modernity, then you really have a problem. And that's what we've been seeing with these, um, uh, you know, with the rise of ISIS in general and with uh, terrorism in general in the 21st century. We have a pre-modern mentality wedded to modern weaponry. And these, of course, are weapons that they could have never created themselves because they don't have the technological know-how uh, or, you know, any kind of technological or industrial base to make them. But you can hand uh, a warrior a gun and he'll use it, or a bomb, or in the case yesterday, a truck. So, um, so modernity, this is one of the wicked problems of modernity. And it's particularly dangerous because, um, well, of course, first of all, we live in a free society. I mean, that's just an astonishing achievement of modernity, that people can come and go for the most part. And you don't have to check in and you're allowed to leave your neighborhood and you can, I mean, there's actually transportation. We mix with people from all over the world. I mean, I often think that the real headline every morning ought to be, and, and, and historically this is the, you know, the, is the surprise. Everybody in human history would be shocked to hear this headline. And that is that 7 billion people are living in peace. Now we have seven and a half billion people on the planet. And so there are a few hundred million who are not. I mean, they're in hot wars, but that is a uh, small and vanishingly small number of people uh, by any historical standards. So we want to notice that too as integralists so that we don't feel like this is something that is an existential threat to the society. Um, it, it's clearly not. And we actually know this officially as of two weeks ago when Raqqa fell, which was the last stronghold of ISIS in the Middle East. And uh, ISIS as an army on a battlefield with territory is over. And that happened in about, you know, three and a half, four years. 
uh, the rise of ISIS and the fall of ISIS, and it was preordained. I mean, there was no chance that a red army, even with modern weaponry, uh, could defeat modernity, you know. And of course, uh, if you remember back then when ISIS was on the rise, people had real fear. And, and traditionalists here in America had a lot of extra fear. I mean, they thought, you know, Sharia was coming to Kansas. Uh, but that, you know, sort of lacks an understanding of the enormous power of modernity. I mean, we're, they're fighting uh, a force, uh, especially if you think the American fighting force of highly trained soldiers using satellites. We could literally watch them from space. Uh, we control the money system. We control the communication system. Um, we uh, have drones. Uh, we have an air force. I mean, this. Come on, you know it. It. Uh, it it's. It's. We. W what's really remarkable, and to modernity's credit, uh, because mo modernity has a, a higher moral stage of development as well, is that we just didn't go and you know mow them down. Uh, just bomb the, you know, carpet bomb. That's what Trump said he wanted to do. And people were like, oh, you can't do that. Well, we did that 70 years ago in World War II. We did all kinds of that. We did a good bit of that in Vietnam. And that it's just completely off the table. And it is. Uh, and we fought them, you know, in far less efficient ways. Um, because we couldn't handle the civilian casualties is, is the reason. Uh, that's, you know an enormous moral development that we also want to note as we, you know, sort this out and, and try to contextualize it in a bigger picture. Um, now, the big danger is the, of course, you know, some weapon of mass destruction. Uh, with this guy yesterday, um, well, I'll, I'll read you something that Graham Wood wrote in at The Atlantic, and he wrote this uh, about an hour after or two, I guess, after um, the incident happened. And here's what he wrote. He said, the identity of the alleged attacker, Saifolo Saipov, has been known for only an hour as I write this. But as usual, the details strongly suggest that the man was a complete idiot. He had several models of truck-based terror from which to learn including that of Mohammed, who I can't pronounce his last name, who killed 89 people in Nice on Bastille Day last year. The Islamic State even published a manual that specified the type of truck to rent and the type of area to attack for maximum infidel carnage. Saipov learned nothing from these horrific examples. He emerged from his pickup with what news accounts are describing as a, quote, fake gun, in one of the most heavily policed areas of Manhattan. The police of the first precinct, quote, lit him up, a law enforcement official told the New York Times, and Saipov is now in custody. As we mourn the dead, we should keep in mind that this attack could have been much worse. It partially resembles Nice or the Berlin Christmas market attack, but it also resembles something more pathetic, a suicide by cop. So, you know, it, it, it's just one of these strange human things to see this thing that happened and think it could have been worse, you know. 
and to feel lucky that it wasn't me or it wasn't bigger. And this is, um, you know, it's amazing to me when they were talking this morning uh, that this, the, the, the mayor and the governor they were on, and, and it turns out that this is the biggest terrorist attack in New York City since 9-11. That's um, 16 years. And that's astonishing to me uh, because it's not for lack of motivation on the part of people who would love to do this and much worse uh, that, that it hasn't happened. And, uh, you know, the law enforcement and, uh, you know, these people deserve a lot of credit. Uh, and I, you know, I'm astonished at the uh, effectiveness of, 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 be, of, of uh, being protected. Uh, as I was about to say, uh, <laughs> the, um, the, the big issue is the weapons of mass destruction and, and, and the, or that there's a more coordinated attack like the ones we saw in France where there's a whole team of people and they really know what they're doing and they kill hundreds of people uh, or the uh, dirty bomb or the chemical attack or, God forbid, a nuclear bomb goes off. And um, that's a real danger. And I think there's a very reasonable chance that that will happen, considering the number of people in the military in Pakistan who are guarding the nukes and who secretly would love to see the great Satan get his face blown off. And, you know, that one I worry about. That, that I worry about. Now, is that an existential threat like it was in the 60s and 70s when the United States and the Soviet Union had thousands of nuclear warheads trained on each other? No. Uh, it's not likely that they would do anything that would kill the planet like that would have. Uh, but one going off would be, it would probably be something like what we've been talking about on this program for a while, particularly earlier this week when we were talking to Rob Smith about the, the, the pattern of growth that societies have, and that at some point there's generally some jarring event, and it's generally historically a war, um, where it just shakes people into, you know, a higher stage of development. And this, you know, if that happened, it would um, precipitate a world really coming to grips with its vulnerabilities in that area. And I think it would ultimately be, uh, you know, it would have positive effects, but um, that's not how we want to do it. All right. So, you know, modernity fights back um, in all these ways that, you know, where we really can have some faith that we can live with the odds as we live with the odds every day when we get in a car or get in an airplane or whatever we do or get out of bed <laughs> that we're going to survive and it's going to be okay. And that's really, uh, we want to make sure we appreciate that because that is new in human history where people could actually feel safe, let their kids go out, feel safe. And, you know, for those of us for whom that's true, uh, we, we need to pause and appreciate it. Uh, the, so, all of that, and then the um, the other thing that modernity does that we're seeing here in real time is we just learn and fight and have opinions and 
get in the arena with each other. And, um, you know, as integralists, we want to notice that too. Notice that we belong in, you know, some part of that spectrum of left and right. You know, the, the left's having its response, the right's having its response. Um, and that that whole system is actually as ugly as it is, it actually is fruitful because people are duking it out. So we see uh, in the Huffington Post, the headline, Trump floats sending NYC suspect to Gitmo, underlined with an exclamation point. So, you know, they're keeping an eye on Trump. MSNBC, why extreme vetting cannot prevent low-tech terror attacks is their headline, at least when I looked. And, you know, so that's the left sort of, you know, rising up against any overreach by Trump or craziness by Trump. And then we have in the right, Breitbart, uh, the headline is Alu Akbar. And, uh, and they have, uh, the, the, one of their specialties at Breitbart is showing the sort of green overreach of the liberal, liberal media and, and really doing a lot of gotcha with that. That's what, you know, both sides do with each other, but that's, they're doing it on the, on the right. And they have a special bile over there in Breitbart for Jake Tapper. And so Jake Tapper, they have, they have this uh, loop of him uh, where yesterday at, after the attack, he was um, talking about uh, the, the reporter was reporting from the scene. And he, the reporter said that the trucker said Allah Akbar as he was jumping out of the truck and waving his guns. And so Tapper turns after the report does his thing and says, the Arabic chant, Allah Akbar, God is great, sometimes said under the most beautiful of circumstances. And but too often we hear it being said in moments like this. So they can't stand that he said that. And so they have this whole article. And uh, it, here's how they end it. While those of us who once admired CNN's Jake Tapper is a rarity in the mainstream media, an honest and objective journalist, we've been shocked by his transformation into a dishonest, sanctimonious, left-wing left -wing virtue signaler. We assumed his lying and peacocking was in pursuit of the applause and fame he so transparently craves. His laughably bad ratings, though, appear to show that like most people who sell their soul, Tapper was tricked by the devil. And so they go into all the ratings, and um, it turns out that he's third place after Fox and MSNBC, as a lot of CNN is. Uh, and it just shows how CNN still tries to straddle the middle. They've gone more left since Trump, uh, but um, we don't want the middle. You know, we get juiced up by our Fox or our MSNBC. And I notice it myself. I mean, do, you know, after a hard day of work at the, in the mines, do I want to come home and watch uh, um, NPR or, uh, uh, you know, uh, public radio or whatever? Or, you know, I want to watch Chris Matthews scream. I, you know, I, there's something juicy about that. And so there we are being human again. Uh, the... Other thing I wanted to say is, um, I was going to read from 
uh, Roger Simon, but I might just, well, let me just say that Roger Simon, he's a, a columnist who was pro-Trump before it was uh, cool on the right to be pro-Trump. And he writes in PJ Media, which is a very conservative site. And he talked about the judges who um, uh, banned uh, Trump, who did Trump's travel ban, uh, upended it, uh, that they have blood on their robes, you know, and that we need to have even more vetting. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, but, but so, you know, that, that's, that, that's the fight from the right, but he said something that was, I think really helpful. And I, I'm happy that people on the right are reading this. Um, he says, he was talking about the beliefs of Islam and, you know, and the, the jihad thing. And he, he said, these beliefs explain why people like ex-Uber driver Saipov, who was this guy yesterday, can, as was reported, seem so friendly and pleasant, and then turn around and mow down as many people as he can in a jihadist orgy. He may be psychologically disturbed in our terms, but in his own, he's a believer. Yes. And his beliefs, belief system could ultimately be a more powerful and enduring adversary than communism or Nazism, because it promises eternal life. This is why I've always thought calling jihadists cowards, as so many of our politicians do, is silly. They're more than willing to die. Indeed, they crave it. And then he goes on to say, um, extreme vetting will not stop this by itself. We must all now be obnoxious politically incorrect busybodies and get in Islam's face, demanding reform in every way possible, economically, socially, theologically, and yes, militarily. If we don't, our children and their children and grandchildren will be dealing with the exact same madness and violence for the years to come. I'm not so sure. I mean, I guess that, you know, our uh, getting in their face is part of it, but in, in America, our Muslims are modern, you know, I mean, they're completely civilized here with, I suppose, some exceptions, like in most communities, but uh, worldwide, yeah, um, and, and that's happening. You see it online, you see it, you hear, I, I just had a woman come back from uh, the Middle East, she's from Lebanon, I'm trying to remember her name, <laughs> but I was talking to her, and she was saying that just how impressed she was with the young people who are just so tired of this in the Middle East. And they talk to each other online. The online thing is really, um, you know, part of the solution, also part of the problem. Uh, because, you know, again, modern technology and pre-modern hands. So you have some significant percentage of the world population. I mean, you know, Ken Wilber and Don Beck say that 70% of the world population is traditionalist or earlier. So that's pre-modern, 70%. Um, they can use modern technology, the internet, to find each other. And uh, so you, you see with the pushback against the violent right here by and Facebook and Twitter and so forth, uh, that, you know, the... It's modernity's internet. You can't use it for inciting violence. And we got to get our act together with that, uh, with in terms of radical Muslims and radicals all over the world, because uh, they're, 
you know, this it's it's now like two billion cell phones, seven billion people, and projected to be a five or six billion cell phones in the next five six years. I mean, that we got to get that act together. So anyway, some thoughts on this. There's more to say. I'm gonna think I'm just gonna stop there and take a breath and um, and you know do another thing that integral you know calls us to do. And that is to, you know, have some contact with the sadness, with the loss, with these, you know, people from Argentina who are here to uh, celebrate their 30-year reunion of going to high school together. And, you know, they're killed. And, um, you know, just the tragedy of of this, you know, the catastrophe of human history and that is still with us. Um, and, you know, we want to have that online too and, and, and say a prayer or whatever we think will help, uh, you know, make this right in the bigger world to come. So, so Corey, how you doing? What do you, what do you think in these days? Hmm about this well i guess first off you know another tragedy another episode yeah this whole time i'm i'm just sort of thinking back over the years how many how many of these episodes have we done have you done um many many you know and i'm always sort of impressed that you know commentators like yourself are able to talk about this in sort of fresh ways every single time it happens you'd, you'd think by now you guys would have a script that you just read off of every time <laughs> this occurs because, you know, it's, it's, it keeps happening. And, um, you know, it makes, it just makes me really grateful for you and your perspective, Jeff. You, oh, you I think well, you, you help you. us, you help us find the beautiful behind all the ugly. Um, and that's, you know, that's really important. There was, there was just a poll taken by uh, the American Psychological Association uh, let me read this. A recent poll published by the American Psychological Association finds that 59% of Americans surveyed think this is the lowest point in the nation's history that they can remember. Now, that's oh, a fire that they can remember. Yeah, that is uh, shocking, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, you know, and that's that's sort of the thing. There's a disconnect between sort of the metrics of civilization and where we are, we are more peaceful. Gun violence continues to decline overall. Um, you know, the trends are positive. We enjoy, you know, more times of peace than ever before in history. And yet, and yet there's this malaise and, and, you know, none of those, none of those facts really, can get at that malaise. They can't temper that malaise because, you know, for a lot of people, this is, this is sitting in their core. They're, you know, they're, they're looking at, you know, their, their, their cost of living increasing. They're, they're looking at, you know, these trends that are affecting people in a very personal way, not to mention sort of the, the nonstop barrage of, you know, our amygdalas being hammered over and over and over again by the media, by the Trump administration, So it really, you know, it it feels like our shared lower left quadrant is sort of in tatters right now. And, um, 
you know, particularly when, when tragedies like these continue to come down the line, we're, we're still just getting over the Las Vegas shooting and, and we should never be fully over any of these. Right. I mean, they should always, that should, that should be sort of a scab that never really, that really never closes for us. And yet we have no choice, but to turn our attention to the next tragedy when it happens. And the last one is, you know, sort of left to the wayside. And ultimately um, it, it becomes very, very difficult to muster the political will amidst all that malaise to actually do something about it. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of, you know, what I see as, as the most heartbreaking aspect of all these stories. Yeah. We feel the heartbreak. We share the heartbreak. Yeah. Cry together. We, we, find ways to laugh together. But what we don't do together is find an actual way to solve these problems. And I don't care if those solutions are coming from the right or the left, preferably both, because they both have such vital aspects of, of, of this problem in mind. And they're, you know, yeah, but it, you know, so just, just to bring it back, it makes me grateful for this show as sort of a daily dose of optimism. And again, that beauty behind the ugly. Yeah. And I wanted to read just one quick comment that we received from yesterday's show that I think really drives us home. Hmm. Uh, and that was from the, uh, the art of being unique, but not special show. So someone wrote in our chat, uh, Dan, his name is, I'm sorry, Will, Will wrote, I just watched Jeff and Corey in the art of being unique, but not special. And it was exactly what I needed today. Loving your work. Such oh. a relaxed and relatable show. And the mixture of quotes, that Emerson quote is divine, multiple perspectives, Jeff and Corey, multimedia, and the grounding that an integral lens brings is just so juicy for me right now. So much gratitude to you guys. And again, I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not reading that just because, you know, like we're oh so awesome or something like, but, I, but I, I genuinely believe that this daily dose of optimism and hope and uh, forward thinking um, and sort of our attempt to... We don't always get it right, right? But we attempt every single time to find that simplicity on the other side of all of this complexity, just so you know we can exhale for a moment and um, and relax, yeah, and just and and appreciate absolutely uh, what what we have uh, there. You know the basically what I'm doing, and actually Ken pointed this out to me, and I, I hadn't really thought of it this way. He said, you know, basically what you're doing is you're just T- taking these stories and showing the bigger, more historic context. Uh, and and, that, and that's really true because the bigger, more historic context is that things are getting better and better relentlessly. They are. Yeah. Uh, within that is the, the you know, the, the vicissitudes or what is it, that word? But just the vicissitudes, the vicissitudes of life and death and tragedy and unfairness and, uh, you know, abhorrent things uh and as long as they're happening at all there's some part of us that it doesn't feel right to sit back and say this things are getting better it yeah. just so you you gotta this is where multi-perspectivalism comes in handy you yeah. gotta have both you know that 59 percent of the people think that this is the lowest point in the country's history that needs to be have a corrective yeah. well that you know. they remember i just that that's the important part so we can't count like civil war or slavery or anything like that so yeah. it's sort of within the last 50 years yeah well that's always true too because you know we realized we survived the last 50 years so yeah. it worked out <laughs> we don't know about this afternoon yeah. so anyway <laughs> And Jeff, we do have a question oh, um, from cool. attendee. 
Yeah, uh, cool. It's an anonymous uh, Q&A question, so I'll just read it out loud. All right. Do you believe the ideology or doctrine of Islam in the example of Muhammad promotes violence more than any other major religion? That's I such believe, a good question. And, and, there, and there's more. I believe that when combined with tribalism and lower levels of altitude, the doctrine of Islam is worse. For example, Nigeria is half Muslim, half Christian. Same levels of development, socioeconomic, political circumstances, etc. Yet the Muslims produce Boko Haram, the ISIS of Africa, and the Christians don't have one. There's also evidence that there are people who are well-integrated professionals brought up in modernized countries like Europe and North America, but still join ISIS only based on Islamic doctrine. In other words, perhaps sometimes ideology trumps development. As Sam Harris says, many believe that ISIS is acting like a bug light for psychopaths, but the evidence is contrary. I'd love to know your thoughts. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Of worms. yeah, well, that's uh, such a good question. And I feel like I learned something from, you know, what he, the content of the question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I have heard, um, you know, Sam Harris. Uh, make his case that it actually is objectively worse. And I've seen, you know, these arguments on Reddit where the, um, you know, there's all the scripture that is about, you know, killing the infidel and crushing their children on the rocks. Uh, there's a few verses like that in the Old Testament of the of the Bible, too. Uh, and then we see the, um, the Buddhists in Myanmar who are uh, you know, throwing babies on fires, you know, that, and, and, and so um, I don't think that it's probably one or the other. And I, I do, do, I certainly don't have any moral case in believing that Islam isn't doctrinally more violent. I mean, it might be. Uh, so I, I, I appreciate the question. I appreciate the thinking behind the question. And um, I, I want to learn more about that myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a great question. And it really does sort of get to the heart of things, you know, and, and to me, it sort of, it almost depends on the Christian, right? I yeah. mean, you know, is, 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 is the Quran more violent than the new Testament? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Is it more violent than the old Testament? I don't know, man. <laughs> that old testament's pretty hairy god was pretty, pretty gnarly yeah <laughs> um you know i mean there's there's recipes for rape and genocide and i, I mean there's a recipe for abortion in the old testament which yeah. i always thought was kind of funny um yeah. so yeah. it's it's a tough thing you know and my my sense is you know jeff i love the points that you were hitting earlier about about you know, does Islam sort of need to go through this this reformation stage? And I, you know, I I think most of us agree. Yeah, absolutely, it does. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the major problems is, you know, we were talking the other day about phases and how all, you know, so we have states, we have stages, we have lines, types, uh, you know, all that. What we don't often talk about are phases, and I think that there are, you know, there is a type of phase language that's useful to look at in terms of, in, in this case, sort of the the evolution of a of a religion, um, sort of within a a, a society or, or a culture. And you know, Christianity was able to go through its reformation at a time when, you know, we were still largely running off of, you know, we had we had sort of orange ideas coming, you know, emerging, coming into existence, but the technological base, the religious base, the political base was all still very amber. So that in a certain kind of way afforded a little bit more space for, you know, these societies and these religions to sort of organically go through what they were going through because there was no threat that 
some Christian over there would find a nuclear weapon that would right. destroy everyone, not just right. You know, sort but of they, they sure killed each other a lot. They absolutely did. You know, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the percentage of, of, of people who have died from religious violence in the 20th and 21st century is a infinitesimal fraction yeah. of the number who died in the Middle Ages okay. of, of you know, political, I mean, religiously oriented violence. That's right. That's right. Because religions that exist in any society that has, you know, a orange level secular laws, you know, infrastructure scaffolding tends to do much better at the modernization game than any religion that's sort, you know, left in sort of the vacuum of, of pre-rational structures and, and, and all right. of that. And, right. you know, I think there's a case to be made that Islam has been, trying in a certain sense to to move through these same organic phases that Christianity did hundreds of years ago. The problem is it's taking place in a modern geopolitical context where we have nations like America who are actually in a lot of ways preventing the bloodshed that would occur in that Islamic civil war if it was, you know, if we were just to let it unfold, well, that would probably bring about some sort of reformation on the other side of all that bloodshed. The problem is we can't really, you know, the modern nations can't allow that to happen because there's too much at stake in today's world. Yeah. And also we can't watch. Yes. It's too ugly. Yeah. And uh, and that's that's good. That's moral development. And also, you know, as you said, we're so intertwined that it actually is not in anybody's interests except the fanatics. That's right. So we don't want to let that happen. Yeah. That, I mean, it's the ironic thing. These 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 modern these modern systems are actually preventing the in, in a lot of ways preventing the the natural organic emergence of these traditional systems. And, and by wedging, you know, modernism in between these, these two tribal and, you know, sort of ethnocentric sects, modernism becomes that much more the enemy. That's sort of the funny thing about it. That's the enemy of both of them. Uh, But, but, you know, I'm not sure that it's not uh, the, the, uh, I think it's clearly the better way to go. I mean, let's keep these the, the children pacified so they don't kill each other while they grow up. I mean, that's what any good parent would do, and we're sort of in that position. Uh, and we can see that they're they're still fighting. I mean, if you look at the 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 Muslims versus the ex-Muslims on Reddit uh, and how they fight, mm-hmm. it's I mean, again, this is the younger generation. Uh, let them fight there. And, you know, we'll do our best to sort of keep it from completely blowing up. But, you know, we all learn something. We talk about how modernity learns. I mean, my goodness, what we know about how to deal with this situation uh, now versus in 2000, 2003, before we invaded uh, Iraq and brought down Saddam Hussein. I mean, the thinking there was, even among reasonable people, what could be worse than Saddam Hussein? Mm. Well, we found out yep. what's worse than Saddam Hussein, and that's you know tribal fighting in a chaotic red situation where all of a sudden the authoritarian lid is taken off yep. violently, and you know it's not like they were waving roses in the streets. That's right. Uh, so that we learned that. Now, unfortunately, we're dealing with the fallout of that, and that you know the the, the dominoes have fallen, and it's still uh, you know continuing but um but that's just the stage of development too where the you know these tribal cultures get sort of 
dominated by a mafia red level dictator like Saddam Hussein. And, you know, the one thing they can do is they can keep the, they can keep order. It's not pretty, but they can keep order. And that's the sort of freezes these cultures in amber a little bit in terms of there's a whole ocean of red amber traditionalists there who are kept in control. And then when the lid's taken off, um, they, they go for it. That's right. And so we learned that. So, you know, we learned there is something worse than authoritarian and that sometimes authoritarianism is a stage on the path. No, that's that's right. You're making an evolutionary case for authoritarianism yeah. in, in these societies that are sort of in this mode of transition. And when they're dealing with a lot of red tribalism, power right. tribalism and and uh, yeah, no, it's 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 such a, a critical. Now, obviously, authoritarianism gets rejected in any modern or postmodern system because, of course, it does. You're transplanting yeah. a bad organ, and the body politic is going to reject it. But well, we're, we're having a real life. That's, that's uh, right. We're having a real moment of of, of experimenting with that here right. in the United States because we got us an authoritarian. Yep. I mean, he's just uh, he would love to be, um, you know. I don't know about Saddam Hussein, but he'd like to be Erdogan. You know, yeah, he'd love to be Putin. <laughs> he'd love to be he'd love to be Putin. Thank yeah. you. Uh, and we're going to see if we're going to let him. I don't think so. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. All right, my friend. Another day. Another day, and uh, another uh, story, and another way to look at things. So appreciate your being with me and everybody listening and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Jeff. See you tomorrow, buddy. Thanks, folks. Bye.